All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Hey, it almost feels like fall time. Hey, Tennessee put the ball in the end zone time. Moral victory time, morale victory time. Is there a difference in those two things time? Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan. Coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Wishing everyone out there a happy Monday morning. If it's Monday morning when you're listening to this, it could be Monday afternoon, could be Monday evening, could be Tuesday, Wednesday. Really, it could be whenever. It, it could be in the year 2024 by now. The robots could have taken over by the time you're listening to this. Regardless, Hope you're having a good week, if you're listening to this live and in color this week. Guys, Tennessee played a football game Saturday night. Tennessee hosted number three, Georgia, at Neyland Stadium. And for a good three quarters and change, uh, that was a pretty good football game, guys. Uh, It was much more competitive than I thought it was. And and I kind of thought going in it would be Tennessee would, would be in the game enough to a certain point. Uh, and then reality would set in. I don't know. I don't, I don't think really, reality really set in until Georgia went on that long touchdown drive where they just kind of they hit the big play and then they just kind of squeezed the life. Yeah, you know, even even a couple times because I I prematurely um, sort of called that one you know DOA a couple times because uh, there was that t- drive in the third quarter twice where when Georgia got the ball in the third quarter, you know, I was like, okay, here they go, probably going to score right here, and they didn't. And then Tennessee goes out there and, and you know doesn't get anything, has to kick it back, and then Georgia starts to put together a couple first downs. I'm like, here they go again. They're running it right down their throat. They're going to end it right here. And, and Tennessee buckled down, got a stop. Tennessee then forces a field goal uh, after an interception. And, and, and still at that point, guys, that's a, that's a two-score game, you know, right there, right there in the fourth quarter. So I, I'm not someone who says that normally – that moral victories are a thing. They're not normally something I believe in. I think if you're at Tennessee, you're expected to win games. That's just how it is. But I think you have to be realistic about this, and I don't think Jeremy Pruitt can come out and say this publicly, um, but I think he's fairly pleased with some things sitting here going into this week against Mississippi State because I think his team has gotten a little better. And they need to get a lot better, so that would be ideal, but they've gotten a little bit better. That was a much better performance, I think. Yeah, and, you, and if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you sort of have to walk a fine line with that because you can't, as he said, you know, no one's patting us on the back for playing hard, and, and I'm not expecting that, and these, these guys aren't expecting that. So they, they shouldn't celebrate that, but there's no denying it is progress, and so you have to like, – you, you, you can't go in the team room – Monday or whatever and, and have a have a meeting and start start talking with the guys about, you know, man, that was great. We lost by twenty nine. Like you, you you can't do that. But you have to still point out to your guys, look, we did a lot of things a lot better. And if we play with that kind of effort, we have some games coming up down the stretch that are gonna go better for us than this one did because we're not facing one of the three best maybe three best teams in the country. So uh yeah, there there's a lot a lot of positives to take from that and, and you have to 
let guys know still, which as you kind of asked about after the game, Wes, you got to let them know that there is another level you have to take it to. You, you can't just say, hey, we got it now. But clearly there's some, some strides they made and showed in this game that make fans, I think, feel better. And obviously a lot of that came with the quarterback position, which we'll get to later. And, and a lot of there's a lot of things to build on, at least coming out of the open date. Yeah, and, and, and to me that's the – it has to be sort of a big picture reaction to this game. Cause I don't think anybody realistically expected Tennessee to beat Georgia. Um, and mm-hmm. I think if you were being honest with yourself, you were probably thinking if they're competitive, that'll be a good sign. And I think they were competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I said this on the podcast last week. If you're down two possessions, you were one play for being one play away. Mm-hmm. And so, and Tennessee was up until the you know, end of the fourth quarter of that game. Um, and they had some chances in the third quarter too. Um, or I think they had the ball three times. Uh, and chances to cut into what was at first a 12-point lead at halftime and then a 15-point lead, yeah, the, the and, fir- they didn't, and they didn't take advantage of those opportunities, and then Georgia, do, Georgia did what good teams and teams with the kind of te- the talent and depth that they have, they put the game away. Yeah, t- Tennessee started the fourth quarter, Patrick, before you continue. Just a reminder, Tennessee started the ball. The first play of the fourth quarter, Tennessee had the ball right near midfield, like within a couple yards of midfield um, and, and driving. So – at that time, you're one deep ball to either Callaway or Palmer or Jawan Jennings or Wood Anderson from being one score from Georgia. So you're you're in that game. There's there's no question you're in that game. Um, you know the the question is to what extent did what we saw in the fourth quarter would that have been inevitable if it had been a close game because of the depth issues or or, or what? But go on. I just I mean I just want people to remember they had the ball to start the fourth quarter at midfield down two scores. Yeah, and, and I think there's still reasons to be frustrated about it because you had the sequence just before halftime, which was pivotal. Um, you, you had done, if you're Tennessee, you'd done just about everything right you could. Came up with a couple of red zone stops on defense. You'd be giving up a lot of yards, um, but you made Georgia kick a 50 yard field goal. You made him, you got a red zone stop at one point. Uh, you went out there with Brian Maurer. Again, as, as Ryan said, we'll get to more uh, of him, but uh, he was playing well. He was giving you arguably your best quarterback play you've gotten all season. You were gutsy with him, throwing yeah. the ball down the field, letting him do what he does, putting him in good situations. Um, and then you had that sequence right before the end of the half where, you know, you, you get a, you know, should you have gotten a PI call there? That's debatable. Um, but you have, you have your kicker who hasn't missed all season. I think 40. it was the right no call, but it was tough. They were it letting him close. play. They were, they were letting him play for the most part. But um, you, you have your kicker there who hasn't missed all season and, what a what a bad time for Brent Smagley to have his first miss. Yeah, forty-seven um, yarder, but still. And West, you and I in the press box, where as soon as he missed it, it was like, oh, Georgia, get, Georgia got the ball in the thirty. They have multiple timeouts left, and a quarterback like Jay Fromm, they're going to go to work. And mm-hmm. if you're Tennessee, you're just hoping you get him to field goal. They couldn't do that, and it's not Smagley's fault that they couldn't get a stop defensively. But uh, there's just frustration too because they can't seem to get both sides of the ball playing well at the same time. Yep. Like in the first half, the offense is playing well, the defense is on its heels the whole time and just kind of hanging on. It felt like. Then in the third quarter, defense plays better. Um, still getting up yards, but they get that fourth down stop late in the third quarter. Um, they got a three and out to start the drive. I mean, we were thinking – I was telling you, Wes, it'll be whatever the score. It was 26-14 and a half. I was like, it'll be 33-14 right out of the gates. Mm-hmm. And it'll felt, be, it'll it be felt, over. It felt like it at the time. But they come out and get a stop right off the bat, and, and they, you know, they, they boat up in the red zone again. So when the defense has a good stretch, the offense went into the tank – and couldn't get anything going. Um, and then the first half, the defense was just hanging on while the offense was playing the best that we've seen it for a minute. So uh, that, that's where there's reason to be frust- 
frustration and, and disappointment in losing because there's still a lot of things you can point to from Tennessee. You're like, if we'd have done that better, it could have been even closer or longer. Yeah, and, and I think that, that when you when you look at, at the way that second half went, I, I think you, you got to remember just a couple of things here. One, um, Tennessee – had that stop right there. They didn't. They didn't score in the five yard. You know, from the five yard line late in the game. Georgia also had that um, humongous hit on Maurer that turned into a, a sixty or seventy yard kind of scoop and score. Shout there. out to the referee for getting the way of yeah, Tim Jordan. A great, great. Would have made the tackle. Great, great block uh, by the referee on on the return. That was picture perfect. Like that's how you coach it right there. You get Probably. right between there. He t- <laughs> the ref took an absolutely outstanding angle to get that block in on. It was either Probably. Jordan or Palmer. He was a great, great, great block. It was a uh, it was a fitting in for. Uh, what was a rough night for that crew? Yeah, and if you think both ways, yeah, and if you think about it right there, if Tennessee sticks that ball in the end zone and then doesn't give it up right there, you're still talking about instead of a 29 point loss, you're you're talking about a 15 point loss. So, Georgia's the better team. Georgia deserved that win. I don't know that there's anything really Tennessee could have done to win that game. I'm just being completely frank about that. I don't I don't know that I see any kind of calculus that ends with that conclusion. But I think. Anyone watching that game will know that at least on that day, that there were not 29 points between those two teams. The score just, you know, uh, they have a saying across the uh, uh, across the pond that that score line flattered Georgia. It didn't flatter Tennessee, and I think that's probably a good way to put it because I think the if you just watch the box score, it looks like Georgia did exactly what it's supposed to do. But I know a lot of Georgia fans today who are furious at the game took a while to get to that, and I know a lot of Tennessee fans today who are kind of quietly a little bit not happy, but maybe slightly encouraged by, by what they saw. So that, to me, when you watch the fan bases after a game you can or listen to them, you can kind of get the sense of, of how it went and kind of what the vibe is. And I was sitting there um, with y'all during the game, and I was the other side of me was uh, Gentry Estes, who now writes for the Tennessean, our former colleague at 24-7 Sports, one of, one of my best friends in the world, and I think one of the best writers – um, who does this at the college level? Just and I'm great, I'm grateful that he's back in the state, and that's good for journalism in this state. Um, but he said, you know, he goes, I I've covered both programs, so I've monitored kind of some message boards and stuff. And I'll tell you, Georgia fans are angrier than Tennessee fans are right now, and I believe that. And, and I think that tells you the story of kind of how both sides saw that game. So just to recap, Brian Mauer did step in for Jared Garantano. He he did throw for 205 yards in the first half which is interesting because Garantano has thrown for 200 yards in a game five times in his career. And, and maybe that's not a fair thing to say, but uh, they got a, a vertical passing threat as soon as Maurer got out there on the field. And what Maurer did as much as anything, guys, and I think this is really simple, Maurer getting onto the field allowed Tennessee a chance, a better chance to use sometimes the only strength it has when it's playing good teams. Tennessee does not have a lot of matchup advantages uh, against really good teams. Tennessee's wide receivers are usually a mismatch advantage in Tennessee's favor. And if Tennessee can give those guys chances to make plays downfield, they don't even have to be perfect passes. Just give them a chance. Even last night, I looked at it again. Guys, Juwan Jennings had that one drop in the first drive. And if you take that out, he was targeted eight times in the game and had seven catches. That, he's playing unbelievably good football right now. Well, let's give Maurer a lot of credit on on some of those throws he made. Oh, there. sure, absolutely. I mean, but but what I'm saying, but, yeah. but what I'm saying is, just someone who gives them a chance to go out there and make plays. Yeah. 
and that allows Tennessee because Tennessee, those guys had been getting steps on on defensive backs and they've not been getting chances to get the ball. And some of that's blocking, some of that's on Garantano. It's a combination of things, uh, you know. And and maybe a guy who just was supposed to be a decoy in a route ended up running wide open. I mean, those things happen. I don't I don't know that I could give you a percentage on it's this guy is X percent fault, this guy's Y percent fault. Bottom line is. Tennessee has been getting really good wide receiver play, and Tennessee has really good wide receivers, guys who will get paid at the next level to play this game, and they've not been utilized to their to their potential. And now, all of a sudden, Maurer gets in there, they can do that. So you know what that's going to do? I'm telling you, it, it didn't work against Georgia because Georgia is just disgustingly good in the front seven with with depth. They, they may not be Bama and Clemson there, but but they're in the, the ballpark. And they can roll in guys. They have, you know, they can do, they play defense the way Tennessee wants to play defense. They're able to stay in their 3-4 because their big guys can run. Tennessee has to get into a nickel a lot because their big guys can't run. So they're able to do the things that Pruitt wants to do on defense, and they roll, they have a strength in numbers. They just keep rolling guys out there. And that is a tough defense to run against no matter what the situation is. But if Tennessee can keep stretching the field, that's going to open up the run a little bit more against teams that are punching on Tennessee's level right now. That's going to help that offense a lot. That is a huge deal. Now what they got to do is clean up some of that stuff because at first it's like, oh, great, look, this guy gives you a chance. He's making plays. That's awesome. And you know what? That is awesome, and that's what Tennessee needs. However, he's also still making mistakes that they're going to have to clean up, and you hope that as he plays more that happens. But for a while there – and I think for probably a good 48, 50 minutes in that, that was a football game. Neyland Stadium, despite having a bunch of Georgia fans in there, was still orange dominant. Tennessee, despite having some empty seats there, uh, it was still loud. Uh, Tennessee was feeding off that crowd. It was making plays. And, and Tennessee's defense didn't have a great night by any stretch. I mean, look at the total yardage numbers for Georgia. That, that tells you the story. But you know what they did? They played okay situational defense at times. They got off the field on third down sometimes. They were able to force field goals in the red zone, which has been something that they've not been very good at doing. They were able to get a stop on fourth down against the best rushing attack in college football. They did some good things in that game. And you might be sitting here saying, it's a 29-point loss, man. Y'all just shut up and yada, yada. They played better football in that game. And I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, if we're all being honest here, I think we would all say that Tennessee played better in that game than we expected Tennessee to play. I expected that score line. I mean, I think I picked a score that was almost dead on the final score, but I had no idea it would get there with it being a closer game than it looked. Yeah, but um, and, and again, I, I have to say, and, and well, I'm sure we'll get to Maurer in a second, but I, I've been pretty firm in saying I didn't think he was ready. I didn't think he was... You're not alone. Not necessarily, I don't want to say good enough, but not good enough right now to be a big-time quarterback. But he made some big-time quarterback plays on, on Saturday night. So Yeah, he did. Um, and, and defensively, they are kind of are what they are at this point. They they don't have dynamic pass rushers at this point. They, don't, they don't have any pass rushers. They rush don't right have uh, guys who can lock down receivers. Maybe have some guys that are good in coverage, uh, but they're not across the board where they have – four and five defensive backs that can just man up with guys. So they have to sort of uh, – we saw this with the Florida game too. They sort of have to pick and choose when they blitz, when they pressure, when they and when they sit back in, in coverage. And uh, I think what Tennessee's going to have to do from this point moving forward, especially with some of these teams are going to play, 
uh, is they're going to have to play that way and say, okay, South Carolina, Mississippi State, all these other teams that are maybe struggling offensively, they're going to have to say, you you guys put together eight to ten play drives, execute that many plays in a row, and if you score on us, you score on us, rather, rather than being aggressive, bringing five and six guys and giving up something cheap. Seems to me like that's kind of what they did with Georgia. They try to keep everything in front, try to, you know, if we're going to die, we're going to do it by a thousand paper cuts. And, and part of that was because of their own limitations of defense. Part of that, too, is because Jake Fromm is really good and, and Pruitt has a lot of respect for him. So Man, he made some good throws um, in that game. And so that's, you know, Tennessee just kind of are where they are. They're going to have to be a team that, that gets turnovers, which against a team like Georgia, they're not going to be able to do that. Against some of the other teams where the talent level is not that far apart, they should be able to get more. Um, and, and they're just going to have to hope they can kind of make stops in the scoring zone and the red zone. But, um, yeah, offensive – you know, I think they're improving on the offensive line, um, and, and you just have to hope that – and Pruitt said this after the game with Maurer that you have to you have to take this and learn from it. And I think the whole whole offense and the whole team has to kind of take it, take this and learn from it too is that uh, they, they still haven't played like a clean game this season. Not even close. And they keep making mistakes that they, they just can't overcome at this point and where they are in the program. Um, and so that that's what they've they've got to do moving forward. But you saw a team that competed. You saw a team that played with fire and energy. Um, and if that team had showed up against Georgia State, they wouldn't have lost that game. And if uh, uh, you know they should have won the BYU game anyway. But if they played, uh, if they did some of the things they did in the last night or Saturday night in that game, then they probably would have beaten BYU more handily. And I don't I don't think they would have beaten Florida with that effort. But I think they would have made it a much better football game. Because Georgia, I mean, Florida's just, you know, Florida's living right. Florida's playing hard, playing smart for the most part, getting good bounces, doing the very basic things right. Florida is not a great team, but it's just a pretty good team. It's it's pretty sound, pretty pretty fundamentally sound. It just, they do simple things well. And I don't mean that as a backhanded compliment. I mean that in, that's who they are. They do it well. They're getting more or less the most out of what they have. And, and that's what a well-coached team does. But I, I think... You know, to to the point about Maurer, and we're going to spend the second segment talking a lot about sort of what this changes for this season. Does it change anything? Uh, but I think we need to talk about Maurer a little bit more in this first segment. Tennessee did the right thing, I think, when they won the toss and decided to get get the ball because I, we all knew. Here's here's why. Here's why I say that. I think we all knew the way the second half could go when the depth became a factor, and I think Tennessee's best chance in that game was to get a hot start. Maybe. Because because yeah. because that you had to get the crowd into it, you had to get the guys feeling good. Because the second half could have just been nasty, and and it ended up being the fourth quarter ended up being kind of gross. But I I think you're trying to be aggressive there. I like that play. I like that decision. Bottom line, it didn't work. Uh, they go four and out on the first possession. They punt it back, and then you know uh, George ends up ends up scoring first. And you're thinking, okay, here it goes. This is. At that point, you're thinking, well, it's already begun. Here it goes. And I think we all have made jokes like, well, here it goes. And then, boom, two plays later, and you can't play, go back and play butterfly effect on this, but if Brian Maurer doesn't throw that ball right on the money and Marquez Callaway doesn't make just a great double break and completely fool that, that Georgia's defensive back and they don't get a 70-yard touchdown there, I think that game could have ended up like fifty six to three or fifty six to seven. I, I think that just Tennessee absolutely had to do something there, and and it did, and that gave you juice. That made you think, hmm, okay, maybe it's going to be a game here for a little while. And 
right there, right well, away. That, that, probably, that probably got the crowd yes. to do it too. That that that's what their line was thinking. It was I mean they've been waiting so long for a completed forward pass like uh, that. Yeah, I mean they've been waiting so long to see a quarterback make that kind of play, and they probably liked that Mauer did like a four-two sprint down the field. Yes, he did uh, to celebrate. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, well, you could tell at that point, and I think once on the next series when when Tennessee got a stop, that it was like, okay, they're they're hanging in there, playing hard, defense is playing hard. They could maybe hang around for a little bit, mm-hmm. and, and they did, and they did, and but I, I think that the bottom line is that that made the Mauer decision work immediately um, because you were hoping to make that move. You're throwing something against the wall. You're seeing if it sticks a little bit, and guess what? It stuck. Uh, that I, that kid, and in, on the first drive. They, Jim Chaney had a couple of really good play calls on that first drive, and Maurer wasn't the one with jitters. He put the ball where it needed to be. The other That's guys true. just dropped it. And, you know, Wood Anderson dropped one, and then Jen, I think it was, and then Jennings, of all people, dropped one. So he wasn't the one who had nerves early. And Brian Maurer came ready to play in that game. That, that kid showed up like, okay, you're about to see what's up, world. And I love that because there's a couple places on the field, quarterback and cornerback. If you do not have a pair, you have no chance. And that kid, uh, he's going to make mistakes, but he's got a pair. He's going to go out there and he's going to play, and he's going to he's going to try to. If he makes mistakes, he's going to make them on his front foot. And right now, I think that's the kind of mentality Tennessee needs. Yeah, and I, I, I like the I like the thought process there. I was going to say I, especially at home, like I always you like it, but you don't. I, yeah, at home, I always sort of question not giving the crowd a chance to affect the game right away when there's initially some excitement, especially you know that's that first fair. drive. I mean, but but you make a good point that. If if you strike gold on that first drive, if Maurer comes out and makes a throw like the one they made to Callaway on the second drive, you know if something like that happens and you get get everybody into the game immediately, yeah, it might it might have worked out really well. But um, yeah, you couldn't help but think with the way the third quarter started, you're like, if Tennessee had gotten the ball first to start the second half, they maybe could have gotten right back into it because they sort of had Georgia on the ropes for most of the first half, and then then they let them wiggle out of it there right before halftime and make it a two possession game, and then. But, but again, give them credit for hanging around, and and yeah, a lot of that was the the switch to Maurer, and you know Garantano got a chance later too, and and did some okay things. But I think I think Maurer clearly gave Tennessee a spark that that they needed, and that shows you how big a difference quarterback play can make. I'm going to give a, a quick PSA here. Um, I think I, I think there are times that that Jake Fromm does not get enough credit for being as good as he is. Uh, I, I, and I know people know he's a good player, but this is a guy who two guys who are first-round draft picks, one is going to be a first-round pick in this year's draft, probably, Eason. The other one, Justin Fields, if he stays healthy, is definitely a first-round pick in next year's draft. Both of those guys had to leave Georgia because they couldn't beat Jake Fromm for the job. And Jake Fromm, you saw it a couple times yesterday. Tennessee did not draw up too much stuff, but there were a couple times where Tennessee dialed up what I thought was some pretty good stuff. And you know what Jake Fromm did? He saw it. He took a step back. He made an audible. He made a play. He does not get rattled. He does not get phased. He stepped up with crowd making noise, and he's got good players around him. But but that kid, it's hard to fool that kid. He's really smart, and he knows what he's doing, and he's athletically capable of kind of taking those thoughts and putting them into action. He's a really, really good football player. And I know that guys like Tua, you know, and there, there are other guys out there certainly Trevor Lawrence, guys guys who get more love, and, and they should. But there's a couple other guys out there, you know, Burrow down at LSU and, and Fromm at Georgia. 
they're damn good quarterbacks. And I don't know that they get enough credit sometimes for just how good they are. And there were some things Tennessee did last night that I think against a more regular offense would have worked. Uh, The problem is when you're sitting there and you can't get much pass rush because Georgia's got one of the best offensive lines in the country, you're you're not – especially if you're not a good pass rush, you're going to have a hard time getting there. And there were times where Tennessee had really good coverage is called. And Tennessee's guys were running stride for stride with Georgia players for four or five seconds. You can't ask for more than that as a defensive back. If you're a defensive backs coach, a defensive coordinator, if you say, you know what, all my guys are going to have pretty good coverage there for about four or five seconds, that's pretty good. You'll take that most of the time because normally at least one receiver is going to break open in that much time. And well, the problem was you couldn't get a pass rush. So what does Fromm do? He buys a little time. He wiggles out of the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield. Eventually somebody breaks free. He throws it and he breaks your back. Or he just dumps it off to Swift, who then goes out there and makes a couple guys miss, runs over a guy and gets 25 yards from a check down. And you know what? Good teams do that. But I, I don't think, you know, Pruitt said, you know, after the game that, that he thought, you know, obviously look at the score. Georgia coached him a little better. I don't know that that's true. I think for the second year in a row, Tennessee coached at least as well as Georgia did in that football game. Um, they just didn't have the players. Well, um, the, the final score probably is more indicative of, of the gap between the teams, but it didn't get to the final score until a certain until the fourth quarter. Now that's not, you know, it's a 60-minute game. You Correct. Gotta, you got to play all of them. No, no doubt. Um, but, Ryan, go ahead. You were about to say something. Other cliche, cliche. No, I, I, I was – go ahead. No, I'm done. I'm done. Oh, okay, I was going to say that. Uh, Wes makes a great point about, uh, about Jake Fromm and hearing just how much – Jeremy Pruitt thinks he affects the game. When, when you hear a guy like Jeremy Pruitt saying you almost have to call plays backward to sort of you're, – you're essentially thinking about not how, what's the best call, what, how can we affect the game. You're thinking about what can we call that's actually going to affect him in some way. Like he almost – they knew in that game they essentially didn't blitz a whole lot because they knew exactly what Fromm was going to do whenever they did it. I think maybe facing Jake Fromm is a lot like when you're a manager, a baseball manager, and you know, okay, if I go to the bullpen here and go to my lefty, this is the righty they're going to bring off the bench. Right. So do I want to keep this righty in the game against this lefty, or do I want to put in my lefty and then he goes with that right-handed bat? You're choosing the you, better of two awful, awful yes, scenarios, basically. You're, you're basically, as the coach of the team that's on the field, which is the defense on the field at that point, just like the, the defense is in baseball, you're having to say, you know what? No matter what happens here, I'm pretty sure that he's going to be in the right kind of play call that he wants. So which poison am I picking here? And, and that's that's what a good quarterback does. And, and, you know, that's why Tennessee's out there with a freshman, you know, for a lot of the game, and he's out there making plays. But he's not going to be able to dissect every single thing he sees. He's not going to be able no. to do that. It's not possible. And and also part of what Maurer's success was, and we'll never know the answer to this, and, you know, maybe Jeremy Pruitt will give some additional insight this week. But I wonder if it looked at times, and maybe Maurer was just – Sometimes as a freshman, when you're not overthinking things, we saw this with Eric Ainge, I think, as, as a freshman. You know, we've seen it with other guys in the past. When, when you're not, when you don't maybe know the entire offense yet and you're just playing ball and you haven't started to get into, you know, worrying about third and fourth progressions and things like that and looking off safeties, sometimes you just play better because you're kind of going more on instinct. And I wonder if they simplified things to the point that Maurer was able to play freely and not be bogged down with some of the thinking that maybe... Make him only look at half the field. Yeah, maybe that maybe Garantano and other veteran quarterbacks have to deal with more. Maybe they just simplified things to where it was sort of easy for him, and as teams see what they did on film, they might adjust to him and make things tougher. I'm sure they probably will, and and, and there's more to talk about there. And and I think before we go to break here, I'll mention that I I think 
if you're if you're wondering why I'm kind of sounding positive here, I, I don't think this is a great situation. I still don't. Tennessee, Tennessee's one in four, and guys. this is their worst record since '88. Yes, I mean, I mean th- 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 this is this is bad. But uh, to me, like the Georgia State was bad. The the BYU was not as bad, but still bad. What I saw Saturday, I, I'm not. I saw I saw a morale victory. Yeah, or a moral victory if you're a normal human being who thinks you don't have to put an e on the end of the word to to make it a different <laughs> phrase that makes it sound different when really it's not. Um, but well, I'm just saying it was good for morale. That was my only explanation for why I called it that. Yes, and I think. And that, again, it was one oh five a.m. That's also very true, and it feels like after going to that wedding in Nashville Friday night and then getting up, uh, having to do some more work, and then going to the game and another late night Saturday. I, I feel like right now that I'm about that I haven't. I feel like it's about 4 a.m. right now. That's how I feel. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to break. We're going to recharge the batteries. We're going to come back. We're going to discuss discuss a, a little bit more about the future now for Tennessee and, and does what we saw in that game change anything that we feel about the way things are going forward. So we're going to go check out some products, some ads, services, all those fun things, in-house ads, good stuff, pay bills. Come back in just one second. Hashtag ad. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the GoVols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products and services you just heard. I'm sure they were great. Whatever products and services they were, um, they're probably products and services and ads that, that that you should be listening to. So whatever it was, great. Fully endorse it. Don't even know what it was. But guys, seriously, Tennessee is one and four. Tennessee might be one and six in a couple of weeks. Let's not pretend this is something better than it is. And and, and I think people have, have kind of been surprised at least they've claimed to be surprised that, that I've been sounding a little more optimistic than, than usual. And maybe you sunshine pump for you. Maybe the past decade has just completely warped my perspective perspective on what's okay and what's not. But um, my, my problem, as I said, going into the break it is with the Georgia state game. My problem is with the, the BYU game. I, I think what I saw against Georgia was better than what I thought it would be. And that is Tennessee has played, that was Tennessee's fifth game. Uh, the Chattanooga game was what I expected to see. The other three games were worse than I expected them to be. That game against Georgia was the first time in five games that it went better for Tennessee than I thought it would. So I- I'm not going to sit here and say after a team does spends the first month of the season playing three games that are not as good as I thought and one game that was is about what I thought it would be. I'm not going to sit here after they play better than I thought they would be for the for the first time this season and say I'm 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 you know disappointed about the situation. I don't think it's like super duper lovey dovey. This is great, you know, rally around this moving forward. But I also think that you have to note when a team finally plays better than you thought it would 
and that's what it did in that game. And if you can't understand or you can't be okay with the fact that Tennessee can play pretty decently, play a pretty solid game overall for what they are, and lose by 29 points to anybody, you have every right to feel that way. And in, in a normal circumstance, I wouldn't blame you. You can be really angry about that. Um, but I try to live in this place we call reality, and in that place, Tennessee took a step forward Saturday, I think. Yeah, uh, it, it's hard to argue that. Now, now here's what I think Saturday did, though. I think, I think Tennessee fans, and a lot of them probably sold their tickets to Georgia fans and all that stuff. Some of them clearly did. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, Tennessee fans, the ones that were there, certainly deserve a lot of credit. They were it great. It was still a good atmosphere, and, and it felt like a big game. And, and Tennessee, you, you couldn't tell there were 10,000 empties there. Yeah, and, and Tennessee, uh, Tennessee put on a good show for the prospects that were there. All of them enjoyed the environment. Was they that a put, tease for the third segment? Yeah, well, we'll get to, to a little more of that later. But yeah, they put on a pretty good show. You know, again, I always say single-game results are not a huge deal. And, I, and the good thing, the people were like, do you want to have guys come in for a game like that? You do because you want to showcase that environment. You've said it before, Wes, Neyland Stadium at night, it's usually a fun time when you're playing a top-five team. It's usually a fun time. So, yeah, uh, get, give Tennessee fans credit. But what this game did for them, because they went in with such low expectations that this game sort of came off better, I think, than they expected – this now puts pressure on them again for Mississippi State because I think people have now talked themselves into thinking, okay, we've got some hope with Maurer. With Maurer at quarterback, this team's capable of competing. Now if they go out and lay an egg against Mississippi State, I think everybody's right back in the tank. You you forgot to give him his proper title, which is 2021 Heisman Trophy winner Brian Maurer. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's the next question. Had just the next how stat, good the is next he? statue outside Neyland Stadium is going to be one. It's going they're going to put one of Maurer right next to the general. Is that's he, what they're going to do? Is he a Heisman winner, or just an All American, or like really download just an All SEC? Is he guy, just an know? All SEC type player? Is he just a program kind of changing players? That mean, all what, he I mean, is? what a letdown that would be, right? But, yeah, um, I mean, no, I get I get what you're saying. You're making a good point. I don't that, know if y'all that, saw it, but uh, ESPN flashed up the graphic uh, of his start next start compared to Peyton Manning yeah I'm not going to say anything but his Mauer's start was first start was much better than Peyton's I'm just Did, saying now didn't Peyton Manning eat, play, facts. Didn't they play Washington Peyton. State though a, a ranked Washington State team uh, that was pretty good. I don't know if Washington State was ranked they, they were ranked they back, were back when yesterday. Washington State actually played a lot of defense, defense. and no offense yep. yeah mm-hmm. that was bizarre days those uh yeah no I I think that you know People just sometimes some just seeing something different can can get, excite people and, and Washington sometimes, State was ranked Ryan you're right seventeenth wasn't some, it sometimes you're stupid sometimes you're still stupid it, it's a different level of you know the, the there are different levels of of excitement there's the real kind and then there's the kind that you're just kind of manufacturing and and sometimes they both can get you results though and, and I, I think. You saw enough in that game Saturday that, first off, if Brian Maurer knows his middle name today after that hit in the fourth quarter, uh, if he's not hurt, if he's if, if he's, his bell's not rung too bad, if he's able to go out there and play and be fine and all that, then then I think he's your guy now. And, and I think you'll probably need Garantano because Maurer clearly – takes a lot of hits and, and clearly um, is – you know, the way he plays the game so aggressively – he's liable to go out there and have like a three interception first quarter at some point or something or do something where you go, Oh God. And you have to put him back in there. I I, I mean that I I get that. I I get that. But um, I think we saw enough in that game to say, now it's time to see what this kid can do and how he can grow and how this team can grow around him. I think the receivers are are probably quietly uh, much happier people right now. 
Yeah, um, and, and and I should point out, and 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 Pruitt continues to be very publicly supportive of Jared Garantano, and I think that's for a couple reasons. First of all, um, he really likes the kid. I think he, he does. Uh, I, I think Pruitt respects Garantano's toughness and how hard he's worked. He's been around him every day for the you know this season, this off season. He's seen the the time and effort and energy that that uh, Garantano's put into to being Tennessee's quarterback and. Um, so I, I also think he's trying to keep his confidence and his spirits up publicly because Might need Garantano it. needs it, frankly. Um, he, he needs to hear that he's doing well because um, there's a lot of people right now that are telling him he's not doing well. Needs a little um, Stuart Smalley a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and he needs that that public confidence in any any way you can get him. And, and frankly, too, they need him the rest of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. You pointed out Maurer took a lot of hits. Maurer was, for all intents and purposes, knocked out of the game. Uh, by that hit the other night. Yeah, I'm not uh, kidding. I wonder if he knows his middle name on Sunday. That uh, was that we, was that was, I was a talk, shot. I was talking to uh, somebody else, uh, waiting for for Pruitt to come out on the uh, in, in the post game, and was wondering aloud if we were going to get Maurer, and uh, and he pointed out probably not because he'll be in the training room getting some yeah. work on his ribs. He might be in the protocol. Um, yeah, he yeah he he's probably not got his breath back from the hit that he took. Um, so and, and you know and to, and to to Garantano's credit, he came in in the third quarter, first play, they let him throw it, and he he threw a dart. Uh, to Dominic Wood Anderson, who who got lit up, but you know when you throw the ball over the middle, that's what you're risking. <laughs> he did. Um, it was a great throw, and he also got him decapitated. And of course, you know, you know, people were didn't like to see Garantano at the end there, um, not get the ball in the end zone. But I think I had kind of was working on stuff at the time, but it seemed like they run the ball down the field quite a bit, right, on that final series. Mm-hmm. And then they what threw yeah, it, including like a third and twelve. They just gave and, it to and, Jordan, but he got seventeen and yards. They threw it right. <laughs> then they then they throw it like three or four straight times down there. Mm-hmm. So that that from play calling standpoint, that doesn't make much sense. But um, yeah, and and I, I mean, Garantano was booed when he came in. That doesn't make much sense to me. I don't know what good that does. I don't know if you're a fan in the stands and you're booing a guy that plays on your team. This isn't the pros. No, it I mean, it, 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 it didn't really didn't really. It doesn't really make much sense to me, but that's it, it's kind of not. But, there. but Tennessee fans have been um, through a lot, and I, you know, it, 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 you get battered vol syndrome, and I understand it. It's a real thing; it exists. Like, but know, it's a college kid, though. Who's, it is who's invested a lot more in this program than a lot of people that have been. No, ever they have. have, but these people also have. They pay a lot of money to go there. They've seen a lot of losses despite paying a lot of money. I mean, I'm not saying it's okay because it's not okay, but I understand the. I understand the nature of the frustration. What I don't understand is the is is letting it out by booing a college kid who has not done anything that day to, to hurt you. And, and going back to Maurer, I mean, he he, I think he clearly should be the, the starter moving forward. I think he gives you more upside. Uh, I don't know. That you, I still don't think you can trust Garantana to go out there and help you win games by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, That's I think you saw enough of Maurer that he can um, make some of the throws that he that he made. You know, they gave him chances to throw the ball down the field. Um, and, and they sort of – I don't say they played to his strengths, but they sort of and, did. And the protection um, to do it, too, at least in the first half. And, and he's he, he's an RPO guy, uh, and he'll yeah. get better at that the better he, he gets at it. And, and there just seems to be upside now that you've seen him under the lights on the big stage. He wasn't phased. He came out there playing confident. Um, you know that it wasn't a perfect performance, and of course, in the second half they didn't score. So there, there's you know you need to find some things to adjust 15, there. Fifteen yards in the third quarter, but um, 
but I think you saw enough that you you can work with, and and he needs to to be your guy moving forward. And I, I expect he will be as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I think there's a couple things to note there. One, uh, the one of the major differences. I, I don't know how many things Georgia adjusted at the half, but but whether it was just lighting up the players a little bit and getting them fired up, or it was you know the strength and conditioning between the two teams being a difference in the depth and talent of Georgia whatever the reason was uh, Georgia had virtually no perimeter pass rush at all in the first half and it had a hell of a lot of it in the second half and I think that was a big difference because you know you talk about that great throw he made to Callaway well if he doesn't have several seconds to kind of throw the ball there Callaway doesn't have time to get down the field and 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 so things changed a, a little bit in that way in the second half and and I think there are reasons for that but I, I think if you want to still have questions here is the biggest problem that that I have is that you saw in the final two minutes of that second quarter exactly why this Tennessee Tennessee team is just allergic to winning football uh, they this team has no concept of the of the necessity to be switched on and ready at all times and how high a level you have to play at and sustain consistently in order to beat pretty good or really good teams because the second Tennessee let up a little bit in that situation that game flipped in a hurry and that whole thing right there Tennessee did so many good things in the first 28 minutes of that game. Offense made some big plays. Defense bended but didn't break. You know, forced some field goals, did some good things, played much better red zone defense. And and to have all of that hard work done away in two minutes because you have fundamentally unacceptable breakdowns in all three phases of the game, that's not okay. And what's going to happen is – even if Tennessee finds a way to win some games here and maybe even give itself a chance to play for a ball game or something like that, if Tennessee starts doing some good things and, and finishes this season better than it did, Tennessee's still going to play a lot of close games. And if this team wins several games, almost all of them, I think, will be close wins. And you have to make plays in those games. You have to play smart football. You have to understand situations. You have to understand that, guys... Georgia is getting the ball to start the third quarter. So the the final two minutes of that first half just became even more important than they were before. You have to get a stop there. You have to make the field goal there. You have to try to push the ball in the end zone and not get stuff short there. You cannot have breakdowns in coverage there. You can't have horribly missed tackles there. They made they made some of they played some of their very worst football right there. And there was no excuse for it. There was no excuse for it. And and that of all the good things that I saw in that game, those two minutes really concerned me because it's that kind of BS that has gotten Tennessee a one and three start. That's the kind of stupid stuff that if you guess what? You're gonna if you play a close game against Missouri, if you play a close game against Kentucky, if you play a close game against Vanderbilt. If you know you play a close game, maybe even against UAB, guess what? You're going to have to make smart plays to win that game. You're going to have to um, maybe get the ball with four minutes left in the fourth quarter and get a couple first downs and ice the game. You're going to have to run the clock well 
And you're going to have to get into a situation where maybe you have to drive the ball 30 yards with enough time left to kick a field goal. Maybe, and we've seen this before, you're going to be in a situation where the only thing you can't do is let a wide receiver get behind you. That's the only thing you can't do. That's the only thing that can't happen. And you do that. That's the kind of stupid crap that Tennessee does that loses games. And that's that comes from culture. That comes from a team that does not know how to win. That comes from a team that just doesn't have a standard of winning anymore. And, and that's a really hard thing to fix when it goes. That, to me, if you want to look at the flip side of it, that's the concern is that, yeah, they did some better things on Saturday, but when they needed to make some plays that really could kind of make that a game for longer, they didn't do it. Yeah, and that's that, that's fair. And, uh, you know, again, I still think the positive is, is more what you take away from this game. But you're right. I mean, when they get into some of these games that are going to, you know, where the final score is going to be much more in question, they've, they've got to do some of these um, seemingly smaller things right. They, they've got to they've got to avoid having having busts. They've, they've got to avoid having those kinds of drops that we you know talked about in the opening drive. You know, they can't make they're not a good enough team to survive those kinds of mistakes. So, yeah, they, they've got to do better on those types of things. They've just got to execute better in general. And uh, and, and they've also got to keep some guys healthy. They, they've, they've had decent luck on that front, but they had some had some bad breaks, obviously, with some injuries that that's got to that's got to continue, especially at some other positions. I mean, there's a lot of things that will determine how successful this the stretch run is. But, you know, th- those two are the biggest to me. They've, they've got to not make those kinds of stupid mistakes and got to stay healthy, uh, especially at inside linebacker, running back, all those positions where they've been precariously thin and inside linebackers gotten even thinner. Um, they, they've, they've got to keep those guys healthy and fresh and, and, and play as well as they can. And, and going back to Maurer, kind of circling back there, I, I think they need to keep the same kind of game plan, and they have to be a little bit more risky with him um, because – Maybe he lives on the edge and he's just better there. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going to have to take more shots down the field because you need to generate explosive plays. You need to, you know, trust him to throw the ball over the middle and, and give him some of the command on on the RPO stuff. Quick read, simple read. That's what that's what he does best right now because um, he's coming from a, an offense in high school where it wasn't overly complicated. So um, they need to kind of give him. I don't want to say full control, but you got to let him do some of the things and, and show some of the confidence in him that you had. And, and with that. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to not see blitzes. He's not going to not see pressures. He's going to hold the ball too long sometimes if he doesn't want to force it. And sometimes he's going to make mistakes. Like put, too not, mu- put too much air into the ball and let a safety go. Yeah, not look off it. the safety. That was a, a throw that I think Pruitt really was kind of miffed about because he brought it up after the game. But um, you're, you're going to have to go out there and kind of let him play on the edge a little bit because that's kind of how he plays. He's going to he, he's going to go out there and, and think he can make every throw and, and think yeah. he can put the ball in tight windows. and. Uh, fortunately for Maurer, uh, I think the only defense they're going to play that are, is going to be as good as uh, Georgia's is probably Alabama. Correct. Problem is though, is that as you get later in the season, and if you play more games, you're going to have more film on you. Ten, you know, teams will have a better idea. You're going to be going up against guys like Muschamp and Stoops and Derek Mason, who uh, who are good defen- defensive who, coaches. Yeah, who are good defensive coaches who are going to have you know, increasing number of games and plays a film on you, and they're going to know how better how better to defend you than maybe Georgia did where they had three series against Florida and half of a half against Chattanooga as 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 baseline. So um, I, I think if you're Tennessee, you have to sort of let Maurer go out there and, and do some of the things you let him do against Georgia. And at this point, um, you, you, what have you got to lose? I mean, you, you need to go out there and see if this guy can be – uh, your, your quarterback for the long term, um, and, and that's and you got to win games, and so you got to you got to play a little, a little gusto and a little bit of confidence, and, and you got to go out there and, and let him do some of those things, and, and 
try to get those wide receivers involved and keep them engaged because um, I mean, let's be honest, Jennings and Callaway, they, you know, they love playing at Tennessee. They're definitely program guys, but at some point they're going to be thinking about their futures, right? Yes. They have a chance to get paid to play football next season. So yeah. um, you need to keep those guys engaged and, 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 and focus. And I'm not saying that they won't, but. Uh, Juwan Jennings will play yeah, hard I mean, until he, the day he and, and, cannot play anymore. And, and that's one of the good things that, that Maurer did was he threw the ball 15 a lot. So keep doing that and, and keep letting him kind of run the show and, and I think you have a chance to, to play better on offense than, than you have and um, and there's still ways I think they can they can help I think they need to run the ball more I think they needed to run the ball more in the second half the other night even though they were getting like two like for a lot of the game still, they were getting less than one yard you, to carry you need to try to shorten the game at that point I mean you're in the game especially in the third quarter you're trying to get it in the fourth quarter um, you needed to kind of and there's probably some chances there are probably some opportunities there um, that they'll go back on film and see where Maurer pulled the ball and threw it, where they had good, you know, had it blocked pretty well up front, where he should should have given on on some of the RPOs. So that's something that he'll get better at, and something that that you know maybe they could run the ball more in, in some of those situations as opposed to just calling more runs from from the sideline. Yeah, and I, I think that excuse me here about to choke on something over here. Uh, I, I think that there are. There are things that, that that they can do better, and there are things that I'm not sure how much better they can do. Uh, like, this is something that, you know, because of Maurer and because of a lot of other stuff, you know, we didn't mention a ton about this. Um, but, you know, you look at the way Georgia ran the ball, a, a lot of that's probably because Georgia's really good running the ball. A lot of it's also probably because Aubrey Solomon went out of the game in the first quarter and didn't return. And you talk about guys Tennessee can't afford to lose. I mean, we wrote – how many stories about how how much they could ill afford to lose him at Gooden when they did? Well, well, guess what? You know, Solomon's almost in the same boat now because has he been putting up big numbers? No, but he's a guy who's pretty good against the run. And they can't just keep throwing guys out there and, and the level of play and expect it to be anywhere near the same. So, yeah, th- there are there are things that, that I think they they should fix. Maybe they're capable of fixing. There are other things that, I, that I'm not sure they are capable of doing a lot about right now, though, which makes it even more important to get good stuff out of the people who are supposed to be good. And that's why I'm excited that now they're getting the ball out there on the perimeter more. It looks like they're, they're letting Jennings and Callaway go out there and make big plays because they're, they're, they can do that. But you know what I want to see? Get the ball to Josh Palmer. They've tried some. How difficult? I mean, this guy. This I mean, I know you had your just you, you just had your best passing game against a good team in a while, and and I, I acknowledge that. Um, but man, this guy had twenty three yards of catch for for most of last year. Get him, give him, give him some chances, man. Throw yeah. him, throw him the ball a little bit. I mean, the kid has still been open a couple times and got nothing to show for it. I, I don't know if he's playing as well as he can play. I I I, I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is that he's not getting many opportunities. He's getting a couple. It's not like they're ignoring him. But technically in that game, according to the official stats, and I know this isn't true because uh, I know I can find at least one, um, but the official stats had him at zero targets in that game. Now, he was the target on the interception. Right. But other than that, I, I, I don't know how many other targets that I can remember that he got. And, and you know, he's on the field a lot. <laughs> Throwing the ball a little bit. This is a guy who's big and fast and can make plays. Uh, you know, get Eric Gray involved. What's going on there? Um, 
you know, that, that was a little strange. That, he didn't that, get a that, carry until what second quarter, yeah. third quarter. And, and again, I, I'm not anti Tim Jordan at all. I just think that what you've seen out of Eric Gray, he's more dangerous with the ball in his hands. Now, I, I, I give you that Tim Jordan's probably a much better pass protector, and that if you know you're going to throw the ball a lot, you probably got to have Chandler, and, and you got you probably want the the, the veterans out there because even if they're not big and physical, they know where to be most of the time. So maybe that was the reason, well, I, well. you know. But they just there's a couple guys out there. If you don't have a ton of guys who are capable of doing big things right now, you got to get stuff out of the ones who are. And and they're well, starting to do that better, but they need to do more. Well, Tim Jordan had 47 yards on non-carries against her. He, he averaged five yards carry. Eric Gray had five carries for five yards, and four of his, four of his carries lost yardage. So maybe he's he, hit a wall. He also got garbage time runs behind an offensive line that, that was, you know – they had three or four offensive linemen go down during the game too, and and they were down the stretch. Just well, yeah, I'm saying and you're saying Jordan got was running behind a, a a makeshift backup offensive line. Yeah, and did a lot of those yards. I, I, will, I will say a lot of the success Gray had when you go back and look at it was early in the season against lesser opponents. So it it, it will be interesting to see if he can still be productive against SEC teams. His his style, you know, as Pruitt mentioned earlier this year at one point, you know, maybe dancing a little bit too much, not going north and south it, quite enough. It may not work against yeah, everybody. I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm yeah. just saying that I think maybe a couple more touches would be a good And I'm not yeah. saying he's, he's terrible and that Jordan needs to play more than him. I'm just sounds, saying it sounds I, like I you're under, hating, Sounds like you're hating on the Memphis guy. Not, I'm just saying I understand why that was the case. When did you become so anti-Memphis? <laughs> there are games where that are better suited to Jordan and games that are definitely better suited for Gray. And, and we'll I'm sure we'll see some of both down the stretch. Yeah, and, and you know, just like some, you know, Someone said, or I was thinking about the other day, that you know when you talk about why they might need Garantano, well, if they're playing in one of those defensive slugfests that you just can't afford a turnover, um, maybe history says that you know if Mauer turns the ball over a couple times there, you have to go with Garantano in that situation. I mean, different games are call for different strategies, and when you're Tennessee right now, you can't just say this is the way we play and this is the way we play no matter who we're playing because we're really good. No, you're not. You're not really good. You have to change the way you play based on what you're seeing uh, because that's how they're going to have a chance to win games. But I think, I mean, I'm only going to speak for myself here, so I'm going to say what I think quickly and I'm going to kick it to you all quickly. I think after what I saw in that game, I think Tennessee has a better chance to win more games now than I thought going into that game. It, that that I'm not saying that I know that, but I I, I think that. I mean, am I the only one here? Because tell me if I'm wrong. Well, I I was kind of thinking that that Tennessee had some winnable games on the schedule based of entirely on what I've seen from some of those teams. I mean, Mississippi State's erratic. Uh, they came out and got trucked by Auburn. They lost to Kansas State at home. Um. You know, but they beat Kentucky pretty handily. So, which version are they going to get? Are they going to start their freshman quarterback too, Garrett Schrader? Also, who's going to play for them because half the team gets suspended for half the time? Yeah, there's there's that. I mean, there's you just don't really know what kind of um, what what you're going to get from that team. They are coming off an open date, and nothing I've seen from South Carolina or Kentucky or Vanderbilt makes me think that if Tennessee. I don't know if Tennessee even has to play perfect to beat those teams because those teams are flawed and have – I think South Carolina is probably a cut above Kentucky and Vandy, but mm-hmm. um, th- those are those are games that Tennessee can win on a given day. Now, will they? They have to go out there and do it. I don't know that – That you know, we'll, we'll see if they can actually do it. 
because they've only won one football game all season. So, And that's where the whole they don't have winning habits, that's where those things, those close games, again, that's where that comes into play. But, yeah, I mean, the biggest question moving forward for this team was what were they going to get out of the quarterback position, and, and now they've got a guy that at least gave you some signs of, of hope for reasons that we have discussed. Right. Here's Yeah, here's where I am on this. I, I think games, but based on the way they were playing before, I'm not sure there were more than three games left on the schedule that they really had a good chance of winning. And and just based on Florida and you know what we saw from that offense for a couple of weeks, I mean they they were not doing enough to beat even a team like Mississippi State, honestly. So I think this performance that they had against Georgia shows me that this team it's now back on the table for me that they can win four or five games down the stretch. Now will they? I I don't know about that, but it's I, at least I, conceivable. I'm not predicting it, but I think it's possible. Yeah, they're they're now at least they look like a team that's got a chance to be in all those games. You know, the Mississippi State, South Carolina, UAB, Kentucky, Vandy. Those, those are the five. You can at least be in those games if you keep building on what you showed Saturday night. Now, can they win those games? That's a question. Obviously, they're a freshman quarterback. You know, a defense that's still struggling to get a pass rush. That those they've got to get some answers there if they're going to win even the majority of those games, but they're in them now. And I think they have, have an opportunity to finish the season stronger than it would have looked like a couple weeks ago. Cause coming off that Florida game, I, I, I kept looking at the schedule thinking, who's this team going to beat playing this way? I mean, Florida's good and all, but th- this team's not moving the ball. Well, yeah, Florida's not a world beater. Florida's solid, but it's, yeah. it's not, I mean, it just, it, it plays winning football, which is the thing Tennessee doesn't do a good defensive team. Yeah. And, and and that gave Tennessee fits. So that's, that's where you didn't know, you know, how much of this is Tennessee being this bad, but I mean, you just look down the schedule and it was just like, it's hard to see Tennessee scoring more than 17 points against anybody playing the way they're playing. So it's hard to win in this, this day and age playing that way, especially when your defense isn't great. So yeah, now if, if Maurer keeps this up, if he can put up big numbers in some games and if he can, get some timely drives because let's face it, they're probably going to be in some close games. That's the biggest question he'll have to answer. And maybe pretty soon is assuming he is the guy, uh, can he, does he, does he kind of have it? You know, it's a, you never really know about quarterbacks till they're in that situation. They might be in some close games this month against Mississippi state and South Carolina. If Tennessee plays okay, can he help engineer some second half and fourth quarter drives to make it happen? So Pat, before we go to break, I did hear you correctly. You, you said they were going to beat Alabama, right? No, that's not what I said. Okay, well, you just let everyone down, so congratulations. Hope you feel good about yourself. We're going to take a quick break here, uh, step away, uh, pay some bills, uh, listen to some products, services, in-house ads, all those good things, and we're going to come back, and more or less I'm going to do a quick intro and then throw it to Ryan Callahan because, ladies and gentlemen, we need to talk about recruiting. Hashtag ad. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan coming to you here from Fort Rucker Studio. Hope everyone's having a good Monday out there. And I'll say again here quickly, guys, just want to remind you right now, until Monday night, uh, we have the best deal that we're going to have probably all year on the site. Um, a really, really, really good deal at Go Balls 24-7. We are going to, right now, offer you until Monday night, two months of the site, for one dollar, one dollar, Bob, one 
freaking dollar. Two months of GoVols 24-7 for one dollar. Go to GoVols247.com. No promo code needed. Just go to our site. Click on there. It's usually one of the top stories in the carousel right now. Uh, it's got a big orange graphic. You can't miss it. Go click on it. Do that. And help us there. Or check our Twitter accounts, any of those places. You can find it lots of places. And, uh, yeah, seriously, jump on that because it I mean, gets, you, it's, it's, gets you through all the football season into the recruiting season in December. Start of basketball season? Yep. Tennessee had its, uh, what do they call it? Its version of Midnight Madness. Tip off? That That's what, what it is. Yeah. Uh, they had that on, on Friday evening. Sadly, no Snoop Dogg in attendance. And, and no acrobatic dancers. Yeah. Shout out to Kansas uh, for, for doing that. But, yeah, I mean, this deal is – there are a lot of two-for-one deals. This is like a different kind of two-for-one deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a dollar. It's literally 50 cents. A month. A month. I mean, that's just hashtag math. <laughs> and, uh, and it just, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a great deal. It runs through uh, Monday at midnight, so you've still got time if you're listening to this and espe- anytime Monday. And especially to those people who've never been on the site before. Now, check it out, because this is a big time of year for recruiting now, with the early signing period, December, you know, October, November become really important. You'll, this would take you into early December if you sign up now, so this really is a good time to, to check it out, and, and for a dollar, I mean, I can't think of a reason not to, not to give it a shot. And for that dollar, uh, you are going to get access to a lot of our recruiting information, which a lot of times, I'll be honest with you, you know, we have a lot of good team coverage um, that's VIP only. We also have a lot of really good team coverage uh, that's free. Um, but for recruiting, by and large, you're paying for that information. I'm just calling it what it is. For, for the recruiting information, that's top dollar. Uh, you're going to have to pay for a lot of that. However, in this podcast, we're going to give you a couple things uh, to let you maybe have a little bit of a, of a tease as to the kind of things you're going to get on GoBoss 24-7 if you are a subscriber. Ryan, big weekend for Tennessee. It was the biggest home game uh, of the year for recruiting for several reasons that make all the sense in the world. Uh, just how many guys showed up and, and how big time were these guys? Yeah, it was it was a pretty big visit list. Now, now that said, I, I think the thought, you know, certainly a few months ago, well before the season started, you know, and they started making plans for, for official visits and things like that during the summer, I think they looked at the Georgia game and said, you know, th- this could be huge. There could be multiple five stars there, that kind of thing. Like, it could, be, it could have been massive. I think naturally, Tennessee had to adjust a little bit after the slow start to the season. I think sort of the the focus has shifted a little bit more, uh, maybe back toward locking down what they can get in the state of Tennessee. And, and that that's why you've seen Tennessee offer Tamarian McDonald, the, the Mississippi state commitment at Whitehaven high school in Memphis. Uh, and, and they've turned up the heat on his teammate, Martavius French, the four-star Arkansas linebacker. Commitment, Great name. Um, that uh, along with his teammate, Bryson Eason, I do believe in predestination for a lot of these guys. And when you hear some names, you're like, I bet he's a good football player. Yeah. Martavius French, that's one of them. Yeah. And, and Bryson Easton, the four-star linebacker, who's been a top target for Tennessee for a few months now. All three of those guys were in town on official visits this weekend, so they kind of headlined the list. You also had Reggie Grimes, the highly ranked uh, edge rusher from Ravenwood High School over in Brentwood. Those were the four official visitors. Uh, and then some important guys that were on unofficial visits, uh, like Omari Thomas, you know, a longtime top-end state target from over in the Memphis area. Big time defensive line target for Tennessee. Obviously, they still are looking to to add some some big pieces there on the defensive line, and 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 getting Thomas back in town is always a big deal. Now now it's a matter of whether they can get him back for an official visit later uh, later this fall, maybe even later this month. We'll we'll see about that. But you know, still a good turnout, and and, and just getting those guys, those in state targets, back on campus, along with some commitments. Uh, you know, those were those visits to me were as important as anything. Getting guys like Jimmy Callaway back in town, the four star athlete commitment. He was 
Um, he, he's gotten some interest from Georgia lately. It hasn't turned into an offer yet, but he's gotten some interest. Uh, and then he's gotten an offer, for, uh, or not an offer, but Kentucky has been pretty heavily involved with him and, and, and trying to get him on campus. So Tennessee getting him back in town for the first time in almost six months uh, was a big deal with him being committed and obviously yeah. seeing from a distance yeah. that Tennessee is struggling. So um, to, to get him back there, see a game, see that environment again, and, uh, and, and see Tennessee play better. I think it was a good weekend for Tennessee. So I think they made they made good impressions on the the Memphis guys, and you can read read stories on on twenty four seven dot com to, to check out all the the details on that. But I think, I think Tennessee's a real player now for all three of those guys from from Whitehaven that we mentioned. That you know linebacker is a huge need for Tennessee now. Um, McDonald, it sounds like might be a humongous need for yeah. Tennessee right now, inside, outside, everywhere. Yeah, and, and and Eason and French, you know, can project as inside linebackers. Tamari McDonald is about a 218-pound guy that could play a couple different spots, but they're talking like nickel uh, right now might be where, where Tennessee envisions him playing at his current size. They but like those athletes that project to different places, don't yeah. they? They really, really like those they, guys. They, they compared him on the visit to Mark Barron that played at Alabama, and that's not a bad comparison for a guy like that because he's played linebacker in the NFL, but it was a safety in college and at the start of his NFL mm-hmm. career. So so maybe a, a role like that where he if could If he's half in. that good, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not to say he's going to be as good as Mark Barron, but regardless the fact they could see him play in that kind of role, and, and that's what they, they like about him, some versatility there so he's a guy again if he keeps growing could be a linebacker also so those obviously are important targets for Tennessee with them needing needing a ton of help at that position now after losing three linebackers in the last couple of weeks it's just insane what they're down to now um so yeah that obviously a lot of big names left on the on the board for Tennessee and and I think it now starts with those in-state guys It, it always did with a few of them you know the Tyler Barons who wasn't in town this weekend he was actually at Ohio State on an official visit the Jay Hardys you've got to lock down the state now and get as many of those guys as you can because just realistically, it's going to be hard to get some five shout stars. Out, shout out Knox Catholic on that Brentwood Academy win on that was a nice win on television. They, by the way. they needed that one. Yeah, and I, and and I wrote this Friday after James Bank or James Banks. Uh, I, I have James Banks on my mind for a reason. That if you go to the site Monday, you'll you'll know. But there you um, go. That's what we call a tease in the business. But that is, uh, a, that is a tease. We didn't really talk. We haven't really had a podcast since Jeremy Banks was dismissed. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's, which hurts you so bad that you're now hating on Eric Gray too. Even though did you just go anti Memphis? I mean, that that. Uh, we won't really go back into that situation other than maybe what it means for Tennessee's roster the rest of this season and, and recruiting. Cause obviously I think now, uh, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, but linebacker might be the most important need in this class. And maybe in more wide receiver where right now it stands, they're going to have five scholarship guys back next season. You know, I, I, it's either I, of those two positions and, and the, the balance that you have to strike as a staff is, okay, do we take, what position are you are you taking away from yeah. to to take an extra linebacker or an extra receiver? The, the, see, this is the problem Tennessee's in, though. I mean, because they need everything. They need everything. Yeah. I mean, that this class has one defensive lineman right now. They have one edge rusher in B.J. Ojolari. You've got to hold on to him, but you need a couple more to go along with him. Probably, ideally, you know, you want a Tyler Barron type, and you maybe want another one because you're just so thin there, and you're losing Daryl Taylor. You're only you know, really proven. And Daniel Batuli at inside linebacker. Yeah. Too. So you, I mean, they just have needs everywhere. And at a, cer- at a certain point, they're just going to have to take a sort of a best player available approach yeah. and just say, you know what? You're a good football player. We need you. Come on. And, uh, and they'll figure it out next year as they've shown with, you know, their willingness to move guys around to the to spots where they need them. You know, you've got guys in this class like Jimmy Callaway who could play receiver or corner. You know, you've got some, some guys like that that offer you some, some versatility. And at a certain point, you just got to say, we're going to take good football players and figure it out next year. So that's kind of where they are. But, yeah, no doubt inside linebacker is kind of vaulted right up there with edge rusher and defensive line as, as really pressing needs that they've got to address on the defensive side of the ball that, 
you know, as you said, along with wide receiver, I mean, they, they need a lot of things in this class. Yeah, and you mentioned them taking good players and kind of figuring out where they go. I'm interested to see what happens with Kvar Scratch the rest of the season because yeah. I think he's a real candidate to maybe move into that inside linebacker spot, but he's also a guy that – uh, who could kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, He's getting after the quarterback pretty they, well. Yeah, I mean, they, um, you know, they've rushed him from sort of a more inside linebacker position before. Uh, he, he got a pressure, one of the few pressures they had on, on, on Fromm on Saturday night where they, uh, he was lined up sort of over the, the center and the, and the left guard, and he ended up kind of looping around. They kind of crashed that side down, and, and he got around the right tackle, and that was one of the few times they even got pressure on, uh, uh, on Fromm. That was the third down stop they got in the second quarter, but – uh, you know, he played an inside linebacker in the spring, um, so he's probably got some retention of, 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 of the schemes and what, you know, the role is in there. And I'm interested to see if, if they're going to be, you know, if he's going to be moving or if he's going to be splitting time or kind of how they're going to go about that. Because, I mean, they got seven games left. They can't – they're going to run Daniel Batuli and, and Henry Toa Toa into the ground at this point. You know, Batuli's got a lot of mileage on him. He's coming off a knee injury, Toa Toa. You know, I don't know how many he, games they he, played he, in California, he, but at some point you got to be concerned about him hitting a wall. Maybe not him because he's sort of a freak of nature. He's also a freshman though, and you always worry <laughs> yeah, about I the mean, wall. Yeah, I mean, and so you know, and, and behind him, you, it's it's pretty much JJ Peterson. Now they didn't have anybody; um, they couldn't move anybody when they dismissed Banks on a Friday. You know, yeah, yeah, a little more than twenty four hours before the game. You couldn't. You've been game planning all week. You've been locking guys into a position. You've been working on having Kavarish Kyle run that exact same blitz he did. We saw him do it in practice last week. So. What are they going to do with him? Are they going to move anybody else over to, to address that situation? And, and does that, you know, do they get, maybe get an answer there? Do they maybe move Crouch over there? He thrives as an inside linebacker, and maybe you can take one less uh, in the 2020 class. So there's a lot of moving parts, and uh, but certainly this was obviously, around, like you said, a, a, a big weekend for them, and, uh, and, and they'll be hoping they can show some more progress and get some of these guys on board. Yeah, and that's and people have kind of asked that. And another thing, I guess I got you know should mention uh, Friday night, I, I got a chance to stop at Marietta High School and check out uh, a little bit of Harrison Bailey and BJ Ojolari, which is and, an absolute factory right now. Yeah, and 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 uh, it showed with the guys on the sideline, Alabama and Clemson both had assistant coaches there. there so you when you got those two schools represented, obviously there's some big time players there. Uh, Eric Gilbert being the headliner, the five star athlete tight end that, that Tennessee's been recruiting as a receiver uh that Tennessee's still you know battling to get him back on campus we'll see if they can get an official visit I, I I certainly haven't heard as much optimism on that one lately along with the other five stars Tennessee's been involved with you know as, as far as their chances of landing him but they're still in the picture there and still still battling but you know obviously Harrison Bailey and, and BJ Ojolari those those guys both you know Tennessee might might have at least a little bit of competition for both of those guys down the stretch but the the main I think the, the key for those guys and holding on to all of the guys in this class they just need to show some progress. That's not. A, I don't think there's a magic number of wins they need to. They need to get. You know, some some guys will will look at that differently. But most players, I think, they just want to know that. Okay, are things headed in the right direction enough that when we come in next year, we can put this team back in a position to be competitive again? I don't think they are necessarily worried about this being a six-win team, a five-win team, whatever. I think it's just, do they look better? Do they get better throughout the season? Is the youth starting to show up in, in big ways on the field? You know, if those things fall into place and Tennessee shows signs of progress down the stretch, I think this class will hold together for the most part, and they'll have a chance to land some of these top in-state targets we're talking about and, and add some nice pieces elsewhere. Ryan, how would you sort of d- describe what, you know, where is Tennessee's class kind of right now? Because I know that, that you've said 
before that Tennessee needs a lot of things, uh, and you can look at the team now and you can very clearly see that, that Tennessee has a lot of needs. There are some good prospects on the board, uh, you know, but this isn't like this is a top five or, or top ten class right yeah, now as, as, we're, as we're sitting here. Top 25-ish class yeah, at the moment. How, where, where is this class right now, and, and just kind of how much better could it get? It's it's a, it's a solid class right now. It has a lot of important pieces that they need already. But, um, yeah, it's all going to be about what they can get from here and, and, and whether they can hold on to, obviously, guys like, like Harrison Bailey, B.J. Ojolari. It, it still can be a solid class. You know, people have asked that, you know, can, can this still be a top 10 class, top 15? I, I don't know if we know the answer to that yet because I think it does depend a little bit on what they do on the field. You know, Tennessee – bounces back and 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 continues to sh- build on what they did Saturday night and we and we see them you know beat a Mississippi State or South Carolina this month and then they, they win a, a couple more games in November I think they're going to be fine I, I think you know winning winning four games or something that's not the end of the world anymore I think the, the way you start out in September the the bar has clearly been lowered to a point that some people aren't expecting much from Tennessee this year so I, I don't think anyone in this class or even any of Tennessee's top targets are really looking at this and saying you know, if Tennessee doesn't win out, I'm going somewhere else. You know, I, I don't think anyone's looking at it like that. I think they just sometimes they see playing time. Yeah, exactly, and that's one of the big things Tennessee is able to sell that that not every school has to to offer. And, and all these guys, when they come to Tennessee and see these the, this team play in person, that's what they see. I mean, all, all these linebackers they had on campus over the weekend, they see Henry Toto and and Daniel Batuli playing every snap while the game is in question at inside linebacker. They yeah. see. The, the need for an edge rusher with Daryl Taylor being the only really proven one there uh, this season. They see the need for de- defensive line help because they, they've, they've struggled to get a consistent pass rush. All those things, they see a chance for playing time. So you're going to be able to sell that. You just need a little bit of progress. But if they can do that, I mean, yeah, at, at a place like Tennessee, I think you're always going to have a, at least a chance at a you know top 15-ish, top 20 class. Get, them, I, on, get them on campus, you got a chance. Yeah, and, and so I think it does depend on how they do down the stretch. But yeah, top 15, top 20, I think very realistic target right now and, and they just need to not you know have a disastrous final month and a half of the season before we get out of here i've waited the entire time to uh, ask about this uh gentlemen thoughts on the uh on the braves cardinal series to this point because I, I decided against not watching it out of hate and decided that i would actively hate watch it uh, which was kind of a game hey, time hate watching change. can be uh very therapeutic yeah because it's like no matter what a bunch of guys who I have to hear a lot of trash talk about, they're going to be as miserable as I am in a couple of days. So either way, it's like if the Braves, you know, don't get me wrong, I very much want the Braves to win. Um, but either way, but I thought you hated the Braves. I uh, I don't I don't hate the Braves. I hate you people who are <laughs> I work with who are I don't Braves know what fans. You people, you're yeah. talking about. I'm talking about you people, the Braves fans. You know who I'm. You what know do you mean, you people? You know what do you mean, you people? You know what I'm talking about. I think that um, not don't get me wrong. At the end of the day, um, I would root for the army of Satan before I, I would root for uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. However, um, I do want the Braves to win this series before then imploding right after that. So that that's a dream scenario. Um, but I decided to watch because at the end of the day, someone I work with and have to hear from a lot will be miserable at the end of this. So I'm going to try to enjoy that because I've got more guff than you could possibly imagine for the final month of the baseball regular season. Yeah. So, so with that said, gentlemen, uh, really, really pins and needles game there, uh, there Sunday, and uh, well, kind well, of a fun one. Well, a, great, a great postseason game, regardless. It's been a good series. We're recording uh, this between games three and four. Correct. Um, I would just like to see the Braves get some hits. Both teams. I mean, it's been a well pitched <laughs> well, series. No, he, is the he specifically probably wants the Braves to get hit, get hits more than the Cardinals. <laughs> but aside, I, I'm just saying that. Aside from the final two innings of game one, this has been a well pitched series. 
Yeah, and, and the Braves have been good on offense all season, and then they get to the playoffs, and you know, Freddie Freeman's not doing well. Marquez is—I don't even know what he's seeing. Um, <laughs> and you know, you 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 just wonder—you see these guys, you watch these guys hit the ball and hit with power and extra base hits and all this stuff all season, and then it's like, what, like, where, what are you guys doing? Get it together. And plus, it was my guy Sunday Ryan, night. My guy delivered the game time hit. My guy Dansby Swanson who, delivered that who, hit. Who you've said for the past six months sucks. Oh no, I think it's been more like a year. Um, <laughs> every time that that Dansby, it's become a running joke now because Dansby Swanson spent the first part of his major league baseball career being a truly terrible hitter. Uh, statistically speaking, not even bad. Like beyond that, like truly wretched. And so and so and so, so this so year when time, he and then this year when he didn't suck. Every time he didn't suck, we would. Be like, we text you that Dansby sucks. Yeah, every I know every single second that Dansby Swanson got an extra base hit, it was like I get real time updates, like like updates on my phone, like from an app <laughs> that I would get texts from the guys that I work with who are Braves fans, being like, "Oh look, Dansby Swanson sucks." And like, was it a double, triple, or home run? What was it? You know, and then I'll be like, "It was a home run. He really, really sucks." And so uh, it was my guy, Dansby Swanson, with the with the big hit in that game. But just the, for you, uh, Ryan. Do the card do the cards have to uh, do the cards have to uh, take this as kind of like a young young Kim postseason and uh, go with a different closer now. I don't know. I something tells me Mike Schultz is not going to handle it that way. I think I think you need to keep Carlos Martinez. I, as your I closer. think IMO. He's still he, got great stuff. I don't know. In, in a way, like he's kind of a nice blend of both approaches. But I think in this situation, he's. I don't know. I get the feeling he's more likely to stick with a veteran. I haven't seen his post game comments yet, but I think he's probably the type that will give Martinez another shot. He's only blown one save, technically, but yes, both of his outings in this series have not been good so far. Final question on this series. Do y'all think that uh, if, let's say, there's an elimination game and the team that's losing the elimination game, it's like kind of a kind of a, a blowout game or like a four or five run game late, will we see the fight that might that looks like it might be bubbling between these two teams? I, I just I think I mean, it's just between Acuna Mar- and Carlos. Yeah, it's Martinez and Acuna, and they just need to go ahead and fight and get it over with. But uh, <laughs> they could have the other day, but y- Yachty stepped in the way on Sunday night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think it'll happen. I think both of these teams are mostly full of professionals, and will better cooler heads will prevail. Sometimes but. a professional has to fight, Ryan. I, I just Pro, have, you know professional boxers get paid to fight. I will just say now, now that we've already lost all the Vols fans who didn't care about baseball talking about this stuff. I gotta say it's a tale into the podcast. They're probably if they're if, if they're yeah. if, you know they can check out if they want. But the whole Carl, uh, what Carlos Martinez said, and I'm surprised to hear him say it. He's still a relatively young guy. But the whole like unwritten rules stuff in baseball kind of drives me nuts. Like, that's old man. That's old man Brian McCann territory, right? Yeah, there. I mean baseball needs more fun. Period. Like. They're they're gonna they're on the verge of losing our generation anyway, and and people younger than us for sure because baseball is a slow sport by nature. It's, a, it's kind of a thinking man sport. You need more of this stuff. You need more. You don't need you don't need to turn into WWE or hockey fights or anything like that. But you need baseballfights.com. You need emotion. We'll become the next hockeyfights.com. You need emotion. You need awesome bat flips, awesome celebrations. Like baseball needs stuff like that because it's fun. Like. You don't have to carry yourself like a golfer on the baseball field. Just relax. Yeah, this this generation of players needs to cool it a little bit. Cool that. it a little bit with that stuff, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Reminder: quickly, you can get two months of GoVoss twenty four seven for one freaking dollar. Two months, one dollar. Is there any food in the world that after tax right now you can get for like more less than a dollar? I I don't know. One dollar, Bob. You can't, you, can't even, you can't even give it like a piece of bacon for that somewhere. I'm telling you guys, two months, one dollar. You make a good point about bacon. If it's cheaper than bacon and and it lasts for two months, it's got to be good, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And bacon is going to last for 
you know, two seconds because you're going to eat it because it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Thanks for tuning in, guys. As always, you can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan's Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And uh, not team player, uh, Dansby Swanson loving Grant Ramey is on Twitter at twitter.com slash Grant Ramey. You can also find all of us at twitter.com slash GoVols 24-7 and facebook.com slash GoVols 24-7. Or if you want to drink your water directly from the hose for one dollar over the cost of two months you can subscribe to govoss247.com or if you just want to go there and be a freeloader and and get some of the free stuff we have some of that too Um, more than a lot of other people have for the free stuff but vip stuff is usually better so go check that out and if you uh if you don't then i question virtually everything you're doing in your life Uh, pat any final thoughts Two months, one dollar. Do it. <laughs>